Hey, everybody, you're listening to A New Beginning, which is a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners. If this program has impacted you, I'd love to hear from you. So just send an email to me at greg at harvest.org. Again, it's greg at harvest.org. You can learn more about becoming a Harvest Partner by going to harvest.org. The Bible gives us help in finding happiness. Coming up today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie leads us in a practical look at the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? This is not about your bank account. It's to see your spiritual poverty, to recognize the simple fact that apart from the Lord, you're lost, you're helpless, and you're hopeless. Apart from Christ, everyone is spiritually destitute. A GPS device needs to first know where you are before it can tell you how to get where you're going. On a spiritual level, the Bible helps us understand where we are so we can find our way along the straight and narrow path of righteousness. It helps us see our need, then it helps us meet our need. And today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us examine some of the most foundational passages in helping us gain our bearings. Glad you're along for the start of a brand new series we think you'll really enjoy. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to do a series in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm calling this series Salt and Light. And we're all called to be salt and light in our culture. But the title of the message is Happiness, What It Is and How to Have It. Matthew chapter 5. Why don't we start with prayer. Father, we ask you to bless now as we open your word. Speak to our hearts And help us to understand how it is you want us to live. How we can find the happiness that often eludes us. How we can be people walking in the center of your will. So we commit this time of Bible study to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I saw a documentary the other day on the life of Elvis Presley. Thank you very much. And um, Elvis, you know, was an amazing person. Uh, he was raised in abject poverty. Uh, he, he loved to sing in the church. He loved to sing gospel music. He had an incredible voice. And of course he became globally famous and had what many people dream of. But uh, you know, he once said that uh, his life to him was miserable. And he said, I feel that I'm sick and tired of my life. Uh, I need a long rest. And then he ended up dying of a prescription drug overdose. And in this documentary that his uh, widow was a part of, she said that she thinks Elvis actually committed suicide. Okay, that's Elvis. That's a long time ago. But just then fast forward now into the 60s. Rock icons, Janis Joplin, Jim Morris, and Jimi Hendrix all died of drug overdoses at the age of 27. Fast forward to present day, Michael Jackson, Prince, uh, and, and many others join the list. Tom Petty, who ironically was one of the narrators in the documentary film about Elvis, died not long after because of a prescription drug overdose. And Tom Petty, 
as it turns out, was a heroin addict in the 90s. I'm just thinking all these people, they have it all, and yet they turn to drugs and, and some of them end their lives intentionally, and it just goes on and on. And what are people going to learn? That the answers are not in those things. But look, this desire for happiness, it's deeply within us. We're hardwired to be happy. So here's the question. Where do we find this happiness? Well, let me first say where you don't find it. You won't find it in this world because a lot of it's based on, well, how things are going. If things are going reasonably well, well, we're happy. If things are not going so well, well, then we're unhappy. Someone put it this way. There are two sources of unhappiness in life. One is not getting what you want and the other is getting it. See, if you don't get it, you'll say, well, if I just had this, then I would be happy. But when you get everything, when you have all of your dreams fulfilled, when you reach all those goals and maybe even surpass them and you find how empty it is, then you realize it's not in these things at all. A Justin Bieber posted this on Instagram and I quote, hey world, that glamorous lifestyle you see portrayed by famous people on Instagram, don't be fooled thinking their life is better than yours. I can promise you it's not, end quote. And I would argue in many cases, those people that you may follow on social media, those people you admire, look up to, may have a far more miserable life than you have. So we know where not to find happiness. Well, maybe money will give happiness. No, actually, it won't. Money can buy some things, but not the most important things. Money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you a good night's sleep. Money can buy you books, but not brains. It can buy you a house, but not a home. It can buy you medicine, but not health. It can buy you amusement, but not happiness. So how do you find happiness? Well, studies have been done on this subject. And one study done by uh, Gallup it found that spiritually committed people are twice as likely to report being very happy than the least spiritually committed people. So we're on to something now. Spiritually minded people are happier than those that are not spiritually minded. And I'll take that a step further. Godly people will be the happiest people. So the more godly we become, the more we chase after the Lord, we will find the happiness that has eluded us for so long, not from chasing after it, but from following after Him, because the Bible says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I quote, God designed the human machine to run on Himself. He Himself is the fuel for our spirits were designed to burn. The food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about faith. Lewis concludes, God cannot give us a happiness, a peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing, end quote. So there it is. It, it's in God. And here's something you need to know. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be happy. Is that good news? It is. Now you might say, well, Greg, you're wrong. God doesn't want you to be happy. No, wait, actually he does. And I can make a biblical case for it. And here it is. I know he wants us to be happy because he tells us that in Scripture. 
He tells us over and over again that this happiness is something that he wants us to experience in a relationship with us. Why? Because the word blessed is another word for happy. They're interchangeable words. So when we use the word blessed, as we will use in a moment in the Beatitudes, you can just take that word out and put in the word happy. So really the theme of the Beatitudes, which is the point of entry into the Sermon on the Mount, is happiness. How you can be happy if you will do these things. In the opening chapter of Genesis, we read these words. Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. And then it says, and the Lord blessed them. Bless them. There's that word blessing. Blessedness or true happiness is something God wants all of us to have. So I think it's good news to know that God wants me to be happy. Pastor Greg Laurie will have the second half of his message in just a moment. We love hearing when people find help through these daily studies, some in person and even some on the road. Pastor Greg, I listen to your sermons every day on my way to work. I can't thank you enough for your words, humor, and immense love for Jesus. Your messages are so inspiring and eye-opening. I look forward to listening daily. You are a bright spot in what has become a very dark world. Thank you. If you have a story to share, why not call us and let us know? Here's the number, 1-866-871-1144. 866-871-1144. Well, we're digging into the subject of happiness today as Pastor Greg launches a study series in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's continue. You're going to find a biblical worldview, obviously by studying Scripture, but really by zeroing in on the Sermon on the Mount. Who gave the Sermon on the Mount? If you have a red-letter Bible, all your pages are red right now, aren't they? You're in red letter country. Now all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know sometimes people say, I just go with the red letters. Well I go with the whole Bible, thank you. Because it's all inspired by God. But someone had the bright idea of taking the words of Jesus and putting them in red. So we're in the red letters here as Jesus is really giving to us his world view, if you will. Do you want to know how Jesus thinks? Study the Sermon on the Mount. Do you want to know how his heart beats? Study the sermon. Do you want to know what he feels about living and about life in general? Again, study the sermon. This sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is his official manifesto. The manifesto of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It begins with the words in Matthew 5, 2, he opened his mouth. That's a very interesting phrase. It's a phrase that is used to describe some solemn, grave, or weighty statement. And I want you to notice something. These words are delivered not to the multitudes, but to his disciples. Sometimes people think that Jesus preaches sermon to the multitudes. The Bible doesn't say that. As the multitudes gathered, he called his disciples to him, and to them he said, and then we'll read the words that he said. Why do I say that? Because these words of Christ cannot be lived out by non-believers. Sometimes people will say, oh, I I just live by the Sermon on the Mount. No, you don't. No one can live by the Sermon on the Mount without the help of God. These words are for believers only. They're not just mere principles to employ. These are for godly people. And it starts with what we call the Beatitudes. 
Another person described them as the beautiful attitudes. Or attitudes that should be. By the way the first four beatitudes deal with our relationship with God. The second four deal with our relationships with people. And the word blessed is used. Again remember the words blessed and happy are interchangeable. So if you want to be happy in the best sense of that word you must be and do the following. Let's read Matthew 5 starting in verse 2. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. Who? His disciples. Saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. So blessed are these people. Now how different the Beatitudes are from modern culture. If the Beatitudes are rewritten for culture today they would go along these lines. Blessed are the beautiful for they shall be admired. Blessed are the wealthy for they will have it all. Blessed are the popular for they will be loved. Blessed are the famous for they shall be followed. But that's not what Jesus says. He starts with a bombshell Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me say it another way. Happy are the poor in spirit. Now what does that mean? There's a lot of misunderstanding about this. He did not say blessed are the poor. He said blessed are the poor in spirit. There is no blessedness in being rich or poor in and of itself. The Bible does not commend poverty nor does it condemn wealth. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Listen, I've met wealthy people who are happy. I've met poor people who are miserable. I've met poor people who are happy and wealthy people who are miserable. This is not about your bank account. This is about your spiritual state before God. It says poor in spirit. So if you want to be a happy person, if you want to receive God's blessing, you must first be poor in spirit. Now what does that mean? Actually the word poor comes from a verb meaning to shrink, cower, or cringe. To shrink, cower, or cringe. This is what beggars often did in this day. Listen, to be poor in spirit is to recognize one's spiritual poverty apart from God. It's to see your spiritual poverty to recognize the simple fact that apart from the Lord you're lost, you're helpless, and you're hopeless. Apart from Christ everyone is spiritually destitute. Uh, regardless of their education, wealth, accomplishments, or even religious knowledge. To be poor in spirit means you admit that you're spiritually bankrupt. <laughs> Some people have a hard time admitting this. You know they think they're all that in a bag of chips, right? They have a hard time admitting they're a sinner. 
because they're so accomplished or they're so talented or they're so attractive or they're so wealthy or whatever it is they are. It reminds me of the General Naaman. Remember him? And uh, he was a powerful leader in Syria, but he had a problem. Underneath that gleaming armor that he strutted around in, Naaman was a leper. And he had found no cure. It was an incurable disease. Someone told him there was a prophet in Israel named Elijah who prayed for people and miracles happened. They said, why don't you go visit Elijah? So Naaman did. So he showed up at Elijah's house, probably had a big entourage came in, you know. There he is, his beautiful armor, his gorgeous horses, his chariot. And, and he was probably thinking the prophet would come out and bow before him and give him a meal. And, and Elijah doesn't even answer the door. He just sends a servant and says, go tell him to immerse himself in the Jordan River seven times. So here's Naaman in his chariot and door opens. I'll watch this guy named Gehazi. Hey, how's it going? I'm uh, speaking for Elijah here. Go immerse yourself in the Jordan River seven times. You'll be healed. Thank you. God bless. <laughs> door shuts. <laughs> Naaman's like, what? See, you know who I am? I'm Naaman. I'm powerful. I'm awesome. I'm amazing. And he's going on home. Back to Syria. Because we have better rivers back there. Where should I go in their muddy river? Uh, when we were in uh, Jerusalem recently, we had the privilege of being flown around in a helicopter. And boy, you really see how small Israel is when you see it in the air. And as we're flying over the Jordan River, uh, I just uh, said to my wife, it really is muddy, isn't it? It's just sort of a muddy river. It's not a beautiful river at all. And, and that's what Naaman saw. And he thought, I don't want to go in that dirty old river. Then one of his friends said, well, what have you got to lose? I mean, you've come all this way. Why don't you try it? <laughs> can't do that. You know why Naaman did not want to go in the Jordan River? Because he had to peel off his armor and reveal his condition. But he decided to do it so he took off his helmet. He took off his breastplate. And some of his soldiers were probably a little horrified to see the disfigurement of leprosy on his face, on his body. It would sort of eat away at your flesh. It was horrible. And as he took off all of his armor and walked down into the river he had to humble himself. He didn't want to do that. But he immersed himself one time. Nothing happened. Two times, same thing. Three, four, five, six times. He's still covered in leprosy. He goes down seven times. The last time, seven. He comes up. His flesh is like that of a baby. Have you ever looked at the skin of a baby? If you're wearing glasses, you look at a baby's skin. You go, look at that skin. It's flawless. Then you look in a magnifying mirror at your skin and you almost have a heart attack right? The skin of a baby. It's so beautiful. Now he had the skin of a baby again. I mean he was like restored. But what did he have to do? He had to take off all of his armor. And we have armor that we hide behind as well. And we don't want to admit our need for God. But he took his armor off. So here's what the Bible is saying. You want to be happy. Admit that you're a sinner. You want to be happy. Admit your true spiritual state. C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, quote, the way to rise in the kingdom is to sink in yourselves. Again, the way to rise in the kingdom is sink in yourselves. That is the opposite of culture. Culture says, assert yourself. Demand your rights. You deserve it. God says, see yourself as you really are and admit your weakness. And that is the beginning of true happiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Blessed is the person that sees himself as they really are, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pastor Greg Laurie is presenting the foundational message in his new series based on the Sermon on the Mount, a series called Salt and Light. Well, Pastor Greg, we're so excited that your new film, an evangelistic documentary, is about to come out, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. Yeah. Now, in your book on Johnny Cash, you write, The story of Johnny Cash is a roadmap for every conflicted soul for whom redemption too often seems a destination far off the beaten path. Right. There are a lot of conflicted souls who would find great hope in Johnny's story, wouldn't they? Absolutely. You know, Johnny Cash was an American original. He was authentic. He was real. He was touchable. Let me contrast Johnny Cash with Elvis Presley. There was a movie that came out recently about Elvis and showed the rise and fall of Elvis, who tragically died in his 40s. Him and Johnny had similar careers. They started out around the same time. They were both recorded originally by Sam Phillips at Sun Studios in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, They both had huge careers. Elvis became the king of rock and roll. Johnny effectively became the king of country music. They both dabbled in drugs. They both had struggles with amphetamines initially to keep them going on the road. But, of course, Elvis's struggles ended up taking his life at an early age. Johnny continued with the struggles, but ultimately, in the end, returned to the Lord. And so we made a brand new documentary film called Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. It's been produced and directed by the Irwin Brothers, who are best known for their films Woodlawn, I Can Only Imagine, I Still Believe, and the soon-to-be-released Jesus Revolution. That's going to happen next year. We'll tell you more about that later. But this brand new documentary film, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, is done with the support of the Johnny Cash estate. You'll hear interviews with Johnny's sister, uh, Joanne Cash Yates, as well as his son, John Carter Cash, and country superstars that admired him, like Tim McGraw, uh, Cheryl Crow, Winona Judd, and many others. So this is a powerful film. It's kind of a behind-the-scenes look at the struggles of this man who really, when it was all said and done, was a man of God. You see, the Christians thought he was too secular, and the secular people thought he was too Christian. Johnny often straddled two worlds and had these struggles, but in the end, he turned to the Lord. He never denied his faith, and he grew very strong in his faith, especially toward the end of his life, and also did some of the best recordings of his career toward the end of his life. So this is all shown in this brand new film, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. And it's coming to a theater near you. It's going to be what is called a Fathom event. Fathom is an organization that will purchase theaters on select nights where you can go and see special films. That's how you're going to be able to see Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. So, Dave, Tell them how they can get tickets. Sure. And uh, we should say time is of the essence here. Tickets are going fast. So make arrangements at our website right away, harvest.org. 
We're making tickets available to our Harvest partners and other friends who recognize the effectiveness of Harvest Ministries in reaching out with the gospel, and they want to help with a generous donation. It's a Fathom event, and the dates are coming up soon. You'll find the dates at harvest.org. Or call us at 1-800-821-3300. Again, that's 1-800-821-3300. And you can reach us anytime, 24-7. I don't know if you know about this, but we have a weekend service called Harvest at Home, exclusively for people that are tuning in literally from around the world. Listen to this. We even have harvest groups where you can get into a small group with folks from all around this planet of ours and study the Word of God. So join us this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, for Harvest at Home at harvest.org. Well, we're just getting started in our study of the Beatitudes. Next time, Pastor Greg brings us more insight on what it means to be blessed or happy. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher, Greg Laurie. The preceding podcast was made possible by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Learn how to become a Harvest Partner, sign up for daily devotions, and find resources to help you grow in your faith at Harvest.org.